Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we love the Lord's day and we love to gather together with your people. And we love that you have ordained that once a week we would gather together and we would hear your word and we would meet with one another and we would sing with one another and we would get to know one another and be encouraged by one another so that our pilgrimage we're reminded is not alone in this world. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. We have your spirit. We have your word. We have your church. We thank you and we praise you for the refreshment and for the reorientation and for the encouragement that the Lord's Day brings us. Father, we pray that you will help us this morning as we come to study your word, especially, Father, fresh off of a typical week now in this new millennium where things just seem so bizarre and so out of control and so unthinkably foolish. We just need hope and we need to, to gather and to hear words of life and health from your word. And so we pray that you will bless us this morning. We pray that you will give us a vision. We pray that you will help us to understand what you're doing and who we are in this and to better reflect and even react to and even live in um, this crazy, crazy world that we live in. Help us, we pray. Bless us now. Give us of your spirit, we ask. Help us to love you with our minds, to stay focused, to work hard, to grasp what you're saying. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bible to Matthew 21. We're going to look at a, a rather large section of Matthew 21. But before we do that, I want to give uh, something of a, a little bit more extended application, uh, introduction, and then we'll look at the text itself. Um, one of the main reasons, if not, well, probably the main reason that I uh, felt led to um, preach through the book of Matthew was to introduce the concept of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is the major theme, as it were, of the book of Matthew, I wanted us to really grasp and understand the nature of the kingdom of God. And, uh, and, and I have an urgency about that. I really have an urgency that you all will love and grasp and understand the kingdom of God. And that urgency comes from the world that we live in today, just as I've been praying. Uh, we live in, we right now are a generation who is very, very disillusioned, in, almost around the world. A generation of people, our generation, where we live right now, it's a generation of despair and disillusionment, and especially here in the Western world, and people are disillusioned about almost everything. The government, we are disillusioned by our government. We feel like our government is failing us. The government has lost, people have lost trust in the government. Convoys of trucks are now gathering together to, because of a loss of trust in the government. People feel that uh, the government is powerless to do anything. And when the government makes an attempt to do something, they look like buffoons and it fails. Academia. Academia has turned into ludicrous ideas. Academia just keeps putting out these ludicrous ideas that, that, that literally are utter foolishness. And we're disillusioned with academia. There, there's a, there's a, a real concern in academia that young men are not coming to college. And, and, and part of that really, I think, has to do with the fact that, that there's such ludicrous ideas that come out of colleges. 
Social justice, we talk about social justice, social justice in our culture. And yet social justice means that we liberate one in order to oppress others. And we just make new oppressors and new liberated ones. Peace is fragile in our country. Russia's about to invade uh, a, a nation. Globalism is turning into oppressiveness. And then the myth of globalism is breaking up as nations are invading others. The worldviews that are prevalent in this world today are empty. They're empty. You listen to what, what, what worldviews people have, how people understand truth and life and its meaning, and they're empty. They're foolish. The worldviews today are fragile, and they're contradictory. What we're seeing in our generation is we're seeing an experiment the experiment of modern man. The experiment of modern man, historians point to the enlightenment as the beginning. And the experiment of modern man that we are seeing today is the experiment that said, let's try to do this without God. Let's see if we can do this without God. And from that experiment rose up the rise of the self, the self. The destruction, and we found out that the self is actually a very, very difficult and hard idol to follow. The preoccupation with the self has led to destruction and emptiness, and it's a cruel idol. And now we're seeing this experiment of modern man unraveling. And the world is hopeless, and the world is despairing, and the world is depressed, and we're alarmed at the suicide rates that are going up. And the way that most people are trying to cope now is through escape through escape, through social media, through escape, through some kind of metaverse where we'll take on some weird avatar and we'll live a, a fake life out there in some kind of foolish, foolish uh, uh, technical world. And then others, sadly, are escaping through drugs. We're seeing overdose after overdose or escaping through alcohol. And the Bible says this, without a vision, people perish. And this was my urgency that we look at the book of Matthew. My urgency was, is that you would have a vision. We would have a vision that the Bible is giving us of something beautiful, something powerful, something wholesome and real. And that is the vision of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the reign of God. It's the realm of God. It's his kingdom being reestablished in the world today. That's what's going on in the world today. In the midst of all of the disturbing headlines and the chaos and the foolishness and the ludicrousy that's coming around today, God is doing something. He's building a kingdom. And, it, and it's happening. He's taking back the earth. The purpose of the kingdom of God is God to say, I'm reasserting my rule. I'm reasserting my reign. I'm taking this back over again. You're utterly failing, mankind, and I am going to take this back, and I'm going to show you how it's to be done right. That's what the kingdom of God is. And Jesus sent his son to inaugurate the kingdom. He sent his son to teach us about the kingdom. He sent his son to die on behalf of the kingdom members that our sins could be forgiven. He sent his son to rise from the dead to empower us that we could have this transforming, transformational kingdom, this powerful kingdom. And that's what the kingdom of God is. And Jesus inaugurated it. And he started it. 
And it's growing and it's growing and it's growing all around the world right now. And the beautiful, powerful thing about the kingdom of God, which government can't do, academia can't do, social media can't do, celebrities can't do, psychology cannot do, the kingdom of God can do. And that's change and transform a human being from the inside out. To make them new. And it uses radical language to be born all over again. To be a new creation. That's what the kingdom of God does. And then what the kingdom of God does is it transforms and changes people. As we heard Tyler give his testimony, he was just a new person. He suddenly realized he was a new person. That was somebody being brought into the kingdom of God. And then what God, the kingdom of God does is it gathers these people together into a society. Now listen to these words that I'm about to use because we're going to return to them. A society, a people, a civilization, a nation a kingdom, a unique group of people in this world and yet somehow are interconnected and interrelated because of Christ. That's what God is doing. And the earthly expression of that is the church. It's the church. It's a, to be a kingdom of people, a group of people who love one another, a group of people who humbly, humbly take care of each other, a group of people where the weak are protected, a group of people where there is great unity because they all have been born again and they all have the Spirit of God within them. And so they're related to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Race doesn't seem to mean anything anymore. Social and economic status, rich and poor, doesn't mean anything anymore. Age, old and young, doesn't mean anything anymore. Background doesn't mean anything anymore because they're one in Christ. They're, they're the children of God. They're the kingdom of God. The needy are helped in real and tangible ways. May homes are restored. Marriages are strengthened. Children are raised lovingly and, and well-disciplined. People who is hurt and has pain from their past, it's forgiven and cleansed and healed. Fears, fears begin to evaporate. Anxieties begin to dry up. And God is doing this. He is doing this right now. He is building his kingdom around the world. And that's the vision of the kingdom of God. Now, the text today is a very important text. In fact, I would, I would be pressed to find a more important text than what we're going to look at today, uh, the text today. And there's going to be a lot happening in the text today. But I want, to, I want you to see the big thing of what's happening today in this text. And that is the transfer of the kingdom. Now, what do I mean by the transfer of the kingdom? Well, think of uh, in the United States of America when the, when the presidency transfers from one individual to another. It's, it, 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 there's an election, somebody's elected president, and then the presidency is transferred from one person to another. And at that moment, when the oath, oath, oath of office is taken and the former president is sitting there, the present president is sitting there, once that, oval, uh, that oath of office is taken, that power is now transferred to this other person. And that, that needs to be thrilling, I would imagine, to, to, to have that. It, it would be a thrilling thing. But also there would be a, a weight, a huge weight of responsibility. And, and, and that is sort of symbolized in our culture by what's called the football of all things, the football. And that is that briefcase, that small satchel that is carried by a military person that has the nuclear codes. That football transfers from one to another, and that almost signifies in our day that transfer of power. 
And we're going to look at the actual transfer of the kingdom of God from one people to another in this text. And that's extremely, extremely important. So as we look at this text, what we're going to look at is, first of all, authority being questioned, which goes on all day uh, today nowadays. And then secondly, we're going to look at the exposure of failure. So the questioning of authority, then the exposure of failure, and then finally the transfer of the kingdom. So let's begin. We're going to go relatively quickly through these texts because I, I want you to see that as a, as, as a whole. But look with me to Matthew chapter 21 and verse 23. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said... By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? So Jesus is in the temple. Now, remember what's happened so far. Jesus came into, into Jerusalem during the Passover on a donkey. People had put clothing. They put clothing down. They had palm branches down. They sang. They, 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 re, they rejoiced in him. Then he walked into the temple. He cleared it out. He yelled and got these people out. He'd throw over the money changers. Make my father's house is to be a house of prayer. Then he healed all kinds of people in the presence there. And then he's been teaching. Now he's been teaching in and out in the temple. He's been teaching. And the, the leadership of the temple stopped him coming into the temple this day and said, by what authority do you do this? Who gave you the right to do this? Now, if Jesus would have said, I'm the son of God and God has given me this right, they would have absolutely, absolutely rejected that. But Jesus doesn't even feel that these men are worthy to be answered. Because notice what he says next, verse 24. But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. And by the way, this is masterful. Watch what happens here. Verse 25, the baptism of John. Was it from, where was it from? From heaven or from men? So he's asking the same question. By what authority did John do these things and who gave him that authority? Was the authority from God for what John did, or was the authority man-made? Did he just come up with it? Now look at their answer, and tell me you don't see this in the politicians of today. They reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe me? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. What weasels. <laughs> Absolute weasels. Spineless politicians. Well, we give them. In other words, not once did they say, huh, what do I think about John? They didn't say that. They said, How's this going to play out? How is this going to look? What's going to happen? What will people say? What will be the polls? What are the poll numbers? And this is called leading by following. Leading by following. It's what exactly happens today. But notice another thing, and this also happens today. Notice the stinking elitism. I, I wanted to encourage you by the stinking elitism here because there's so much stinking elitism today where, where we have experts and we have, we have the people who are in the know that, that look down upon all the rest of us and tell us how we're supposed to think and what we're supposed to do. Notice the stinking elitism they hear. Look at verse 25. They reason among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then do we no, do, do, did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. 
Look at the stinking elitism in that. They did not count John as a prophet. They did not believe in John. They were smarter than the multitude. The multitude of people, the multitude of people who saw in John the Baptist a man of integrity, a man of God, a man of truth, and believed that he was a prophet sent from God, these minor elitists who were holding on to the power had to somehow correct the multitude because they knew better. And in the end, verse 27, they know nothing. And then look at what Jesus says. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, of course, if they would have said John the Baptist was from God, then Jesus would have said, you're talking about the same man who are you? Who looked at me and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or are you talking about the same man who said, he must increase, I must decrease? Are you looking at the same man who said, I saw when, I, when he was baptized, the Spirit of God come down, and I heard God say that he is God's beloved Son. You would have had to believe all of that as well. And they weren't committing to that. And so Jesus says, well, I'm not going to tell you whether my authority is from God or from men at all. But now he turns the focus on them. And notice he tells a parable. And this he exposes their failure. Notice what he says. But what, but what do you think? He's still talking to them. Verse 28. But what do you think? A man has two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward... He regretted it and went. That's actually a really good translation. Afterward, but that, and that's a key phrase. Afterward, he regretted. The word means to actually have a change of heart, a change of mind. It's not the normal word for repentance, but it, this word also carries with it a sense of remorse or regret. So dad comes, asks me to go to work, and I say, no, dad, I don't want to go to work today. No. And dad leaves, and I feel bad, I regret it, and I get my work clothes on, and I get out to that vineyard, and I work. That's what Jesus is saying here. Then verse 30 says this, Then he came to the second and said, Likewise, he answered and said, Sir, I go, sir, but he did not go. So this second son says, Sure, dad, I love you, dad. I'm, I'm your son. Yeah, I'm not like that jerk over there. I'm, I'm the good son. Yeah, yeah, I'll go. And then this kid just started playing video games. He never got out of bed. He never even went. And the whole day went by. And he ended up never doing, not going at all. Then Jesus asked this very important question, verse 31. Which of the two did the will of the father? And it's interesting because it's so obvious that the Pharisees have to answer in a certain way. They said to him, the first the first did the will of the father, even though he said no at first, even though he rebelled at first, he regretted and he went back and he did the will of the father. So Jesus then says to them, assuredly, I say to you that the tax collectors and harlots entered the kingdom of God before you. You can imagine how that played in the temple. You can imagine how that played with all of the people listening on and all the people surrounding him, that the tax collectors and the harlots entered the kingdom of God. And that's a present active tense, are entering the kingdom of God, are coming. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is moving. People are entering into the kingdom of God. And the tax collectors and the harlots are entering in the kingdom of God before you. They're taking precedent over you. And he says, then he goes on to say this, for John came to you in the way of righteousness. Here's Jesus saying, John's authority was from above. And you, didn't, and you did not believe him. 
But the tax collectors and harlots believed him. See, the elitists didn't believe him, but the schmucks of the world did believe him. And when you saw it, now notice, and this is the exact same phrase. Unfortunately, they didn't quite translate it the same, but it's the exact same phrase as verse 29. You did not afterward relent or regret and believe him. And so obviously they were the sons. They are the sons. Of, oh, yeah, we love the father. We love the father. And don't do the father's will. And when they saw what was going on, when they saw the power of John the Baptist, when they saw these people repenting, when they saw the kingdom being populated, they didn't even then regret and, and go and, and, and follow. They didn't do that. It's their utter, absolute failure to believe and to embrace and to see the Son of God in their midst. God is at work in your midst. God is building his kingdom. God's son has just walked into the temple. He's healing people, for goodness sakes. Blind men are seeing. Lame men are dancing around. They're seeing all this. John the Baptist pointed to him. John the Baptist was a great man. Tax collectors are being saved. Harlots are being saved. God is at work. God is moving. And you don't see it. And then he tells one of the most devastating parables ever told. Look at verse 33. Hear now another parable. And here I believe at this point, Jesus sort of looked beyond these, these elders and, and, and leaders that are there, and he's talking to the whole multitude, because there's a whole multitude of people there. Hear now this parable. It's almost as if he said, everybody listen to this parable now, because this involves all of you. Therefore, there was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it. That's like a fence. And dug a wine press in it. And built a tower. These towers were for observation. They were to protect, to see people trying to break in. They even were for shooting foxes out of it. It would be like shooting groundhogs in our day, day and age or whatever, to keep, the, keep them from destroying the vineyard. And he leased it to vine dressers, and he went into a far country. So notice here in this parable, everything that is necessary for their success has been given to them to succeed. Grow, plant, make wine, smash them in the wine press, be protected. Everything is there. I have made everything possible for you to succeed, and now I'm giving it to you as, as a stewardship. Verse 34. Now when the vine dressers time, I'm sorry, when the vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants and they beat one and they killed one and they stoned another. So he keeps sending these servants and these servants keep just getting beat up and killed and stoned even. And then he sent other servants more than the first and they did likewise to them. Now, you, you, be careful here that you don't because this, this almost sounds ludicrous at some point. It's like, you know, who, who wants to volunteer to go to the vineyard? <laughs> not me. But that's not what this is about. This is actually about the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets. I sent these prophets. And you read the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, how these men were persecuted, how they were treated, how they were shamefully treated. And then he's, he's, re, he's referring to this. And he's even looking ahead to what they're going to be doing to these apostles and how they're going to be uh, 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 treating them. But then verse 37, he says this. Then last of all, he sent his son to them. And it's interesting because uh, Mark and Luke actually add one word here. And last of all, he sent his beloved son. His beloved son. They're certainly pointing that this is to Jesus. Saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. This is him. 
Come, let us kill him and seize the inheritance. See, the master is far, far away. He hasn't been around for a long time. He's far, far, far different distant country. We'll just kill this kid and then we'll just take ownership of this thing. So they took him and they cast him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, when he comes back, what will he do to those vine dressers? Now, I can't even imagine how, now, this is a summary. I can't imagine how Jesus told this story. And as he's elaborating this story and he's telling this story and these people from this culture who know what it's like to see this and then realize what these, what, how awful these men were, what they would do that they would kill all of them. And then the, the people were caught up in this story and you could tell by the answer. So Jesus asked the question, look at the answer. And here I think this is the crowd. And they said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably. And there's actually a play on words here because the word wicked and miserable is the same word in the original language. He will, he will destroy those miserable men miserably. He will destroy those wretched men wretchedly. He's going to really, it's going to be horrible. It's an ugly word. It's going to be terrible what happens to these men. And lease his vineyard to another vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their seasons. He's going to kill those guys, get them out of there, and give the stewardship of this vineyard to the people who are going to grow the plants, who are going to harvest them, who are going to get a profit, and are going to give him the profit. That's what's going to happen. Then Jesus answers and says this, verse 42, then he said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? And we've seen this time and time again in the book of Matthew, Back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Jesus basing his entire ministry and theology on the word of God. And notice what he says. He quotes from Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So, so picture in your mind these stonemasons are building something and they go to build and they need that chief cornerstone, that, that stone by which they will actually build the entire building from and they see a stone and they say, I reject this. They reject it after testing. That's what the word means. I have nothing to do with the stone. And Jesus said, that stone that they threw down the hillside, that stone God took and he made the chief cornerstone of his building. That's what it means. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, verse 43, the most important verse. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation. It's the word ethnos. It can mean nation, it can mean people, it can mean a society, it can even mean Gentile. It doesn't mean Gentile here, it means something much bigger than that. And will be given to an ethnos, a people, bearing the fruits of it. I'm taking the kingdom away from you. I'm giving the kingdom to another people. And they will bear the fruit. You have not borne the fruit. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. The word means pulverized. And on whom it ever it falls, he will be ground to powder. Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. And watch what they do. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. They continue in their elitism, they continue in their unbelief, and they actually show themselves fulfilling the parable, let's take the son and kill him. Now, what do we make of all of this? Let's apply this to ourselves. Who received this kingdom? 
Jesus took the kingdom from the Jewish leaders and the nation of Israel. Who did he give it to? Well, well, how would we know the answer to that? We would do exactly what Jesus does all the time. We would follow his example. What does the scripture say? Turn with me now in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you want to use the Pew Bibles, that's on page 1391. 1 Peter chapter 2. One of the men who was standing there, one of the men who was standing there was Peter. And when Jesus said, the kingdom is being taken from you and given to others, he, pro he could have easily motioned to the 12 apostles at that point. And Peter was one of those men standing there. Now we're going to listen to the words of Peter years after that. And notice, notice the parallel between these two passages. And notice how he's drawing out of the Old Testament. And notice the language that in the Old Testament refers to Israel and the priesthood and the temple are all applied to this new people. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. Coming to him as to, that's Jesus, as to a living stone. There's that cornerstone. There's that stone that was rejected by the Jewish leaders. But God has made the chief corner. And Peter's about to say that. Rejected indeed by men. There's that rejection. But chosen by God and precious. He has that verse. He's about to quote it, but he has that verse in, in the background. You also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. There's a new temple. A holy priesthood, there's a new priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's spiritual sacrifices. There's the entire fulfillment and yet expansion, beautiful expansion of all of the Old Testament. Verse 6, therefore it is also contained in the scriptures. Here he is following his master, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, applying the Bible. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Now, the earlier passage was Psalm 118, which he's about to quote in the next verse. This comes out of Isaiah. And this is the same idea, though, that God is laying a cornerstone in, in Zion. God is laying an elect uh, uh, precious one. And those who believe on him will not be put to shame. Who are the kingdom of God? It's those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. First time you ever heard that verse applied was when Jesus said it in Matthew 21. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It's going to pulverize those who, do, who oppose it. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Now listen to these next two verses. Because this answers the question, whose kingdom is it now? But you, and this is Peter writing to the believers. He's writing to the Christians. He's writing to their Jews and Gentiles. He's writing to the Christians, and he says this, but you are a chosen generation. You're the new Israel in that sense. You are a royal priesthood. You're the new Abrahamic priesthood, Aaronic, from Aaron, Aaron priesthood, I mean. You are, and here the word ethnos is used, you are a holy nation. You are that ethnos, that people, that nation that Jesus gave the kingdom to. You are his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, an ethnos, a nation and, and such. You weren't that, but now you are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 
Who is the kingdom of God? Who was the kingdom of God transferred to? It was transferred to the followers of Jesus. It was transferred to the people of Jesus. It was transferred to those who saw in Jesus, he was the Lamb of God. He is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the anointed one. You are the Son of David. You are Messiah. You are the one. You are the one sent from God. You are the very Son of God. We, I trust you. I love you. I follow you. I believe in you. I embrace you. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. That's the kingdom of God. That's being in the kingdom of God. It's not replacement theology. Israel was replaced by, 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 by the Gentiles or anything like that. It's an expansion theology. Jesus was Jewish. These apostles were Jewish. The early church, the first early church was almost exclusively Jewish. And yet it's Jew and Gentile. And it expands and expands. It was expansive. It expands into the entire world. The kingdom of God is Jewish and Gentile. It is rich and poor. It is slave and free. It is black. It is Hispanic. It is Asian. It is white. It is Chinese people now. It is Russian people now in the kingdom of God. It is, it is African people. It is Nicaraguans. It is Americans. It is people from Guam and the islands. It is people from all around the world gathering together as Christ's special people, as God's special people, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, as this kingdom. God is building this beautiful kingdom, and it is going all around the world, and it is going on today. And we should be thrilled by that, dear friends. We should be excited. God is doing something great. No, you don't hear about it in the news. No, you don't hear about it in the news. They don't even know how to understand it. They don't even know how to get it. They don't even see it. They're not even aware of what's going on. Because Jesus, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is like leaven. It goes into a lump of dough. And you don't even see it, but all of a sudden it starts to expand and change. It's like salt that is put in there. That's what the kingdom of God is. And it purifies and it preserves. That's what it is and it spreads and expands. And they don't know. It's like a mustard seed. The smallest of all seeds, Jesus says. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You can barely see it, but it eventually grows. Quietly, silently, it grows and grows and grows until birds can actually nest in it. That's what God is doing right now. Right now, dear friends, right now, this Lord's Day in China, secretly behind closed doors in, in, in houses. The word of God is being preached. People are loving Jesus. People are coming to know Jesus and believe in Jesus. Right now in Russia, while that idiot Putin is dis determining to make his ego even bigger, there's people in Russian neighborhoods and communities and villages all around that great land trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, loving in him. And Africa, in Asia with its millions and millions of people, people are trusting in the United States of America, in Canada, in Australia, in Europe, God is raising up this beautiful kingdom of these beautiful people who love Jesus more than life itself, who are being transformed, and that transformation is working in their life. We heard one example in the testimony today. It's a beautiful thing, dear friends. Don't get discouraged by what's going on in this world. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. But with that beautiful, beautiful kingdom that we have been given comes responsibility. A people, Jesus said, who will bear fruit of it. You still have 1 Peter open in front of you. Look what Peter says right after he said all those wonderful things in verses 9 and 10. Verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. See, dear friends, we're the kingdom of God. We're sojourners and pilgrims in this present evil age. We'll own it all one day. 
but we're sojourners and pilgrims in the land. We're like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're sojourners and pilgrims in a land that we will one day own. But as pilgrim soldiers, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God on the day of visitation. And then he outlines. He outlines how we're to submit to authorities. He outlines how servants and, and employers to employees. He outlines in marriage. He outlines these things. Listen to Colossians chapter 3. If you want to turn there, Colossians chapter 3. Listen to how these, the kingdom, this new nation, this new people, the elect, listen. Verse 12, Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, as the members of the kingdom, as God's special people, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Bear the fruit of being the people of God. We're here to bear fruit. That's our job, that we would be a kingdom that would bear fruit for him, for his glory, and give the fruit to his glory. Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. As anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Turn just a few pages over to Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to this. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 5. I'll start in 431. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. By the way, that's, that'll be all the headlines this week. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's what the kingdom's supposed to look like. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And gave himself for us as offering and a sweet a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. Our master sacrificed for us, sacrificed for others. Look at verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. You're the kingdom of God. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. You were once in darkness, but now you are the children of light. Walk as children of light for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth. See, dear friends, you're the kingdom of God. You're the people of God. You're the holy ones of God. And we are to be the kingdom's representation here and now. And that's the application for today. There is supposed to be in this world today a powerful, distinct, beautiful alternative to the decaying kingdom of man. Let me repeat that. There is supposed to be in this world today a powerful, distinct, beautiful alternative to the decaying kingdom of man. Salt and light, the kingdom of God. 
Christ's own special people, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. There's supposed to be a holy kingdom in this world right now. Holy. Holy means to be set apart and separated for sacred purposes. There's to be a holy people today, a pure people, a chaste people, a righteous people, in word, in thought, in action. They're supposed to stand in stark contrast to the filth, perversity, immorality, and brokenness of the kingdom of man. There's supposed to be a, a kingdom, a beautiful kingdom seen in this world today that's loving, loving, a kingdom of love, a kingdom where people are kind and gentle and compassionate and forgiving and merciful. There's so much hatred in this world right now. We cancel people just because we disagree with them and we attack them and we say bad things about them. And we draw things from their past as if there's no place for forgiveness. There's no place for love. There's no place for acceptance. And there needs to be another kingdom, another kingdom that shows itself as a kingdom of love, accepting people, forgiving them, finding ways to just embrace. We're to be a serving kingdom. The kingdom of modern man is a self-serving kingdom. The kingdom of modern man is so ugly because it's self-serving people, self-centered people, career-driven people, image-driven people, status-driven people, money-driven people. And Jesus has inaugurated a separate kingdom, an upside-down kingdom to this world, but we're actually the right-side-up ones, a kingdom where being a servant is greatness, where the slave is, the, is first. And where the master served and washed his disciples' feet, he didn't come to be served. Dear friends, it's a wonderful opportunity and privilege to be a part of the kingdom of God. But it's also a huge responsibility. Let's not lose the kingdom. You say, what are you talking about? Read the book of Revelation. Read the book of Revelation. I'm going to take your candlestick and remove it from you. Churches that don't act as the kingdom of God can be removed. Branches were broken off of the kingdom of God. Natural Jewish branches were broken off and Gentile branches were grafted in. And Paul says, be careful. In Romans chapter 11, Paul says this. He says this to the, to the Gentile Christians in Romans chapter 11, verse 20. He says, because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. Is that, is that coming up at all? Did I give you guys Romans 11? No, okay. Listen, everybody. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Dear friends, let us not lose our saltiness. Let us not lose our light. Let us not become like the world. Let us not become immoral and greedy and pleasure-loving and self-centered and angry and bitter and mean-spirited and unforgiving. Let us not become that, dear one. Let us be who we are called to be, this beautiful kingdom of God. Oh, I hope, I hope you will meditate on these things and I hope that your heart attitude will change 
and that you will see, you and I will not be discouraged and despondent and, and such. We will not be. By the state of this world, we will be excited to see the kingdom of God is growing. Somebody asked me this week, oh, in absolute despair, somebody asked me this week, oh, look at what's going on in this world. Look at what's going on. How is this ever going to turn out? And I said, it turns out great. Jesus comes back. And he makes everything right. And the kingdom of God becomes ours. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. And God is doing that work now. We heard a wonderful example of it with Tyler's testimony. God is continuing to do that to a new generation and a new generation. God is building his kingdom. Don't be discouraged once. Yes, there's much to be discouraged. There's much to, 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 to weep over. There's much to be sad about. There's much to look and see, oh, how tragic what we've lost. Oh, how tragic what a mess modern man has made of these things. But in the midst of that, God is building this beautiful kingdom this beautiful kingdom. Are you in it? Are you in this kingdom? When the king comes, will he welcome you in? Will he recognize you as one of the, the distinct ones, one of the holy ones, one of the ones who saw him as precious, one of the ones who fled into the kingdom and embraced it? Are you in the kingdom? The invitation is here. Come, come, he says. Come, he says. And oh, please, if some of you are here resisting the kingdom, please stop resisting. Because the world is going to pull you, pull you tighter and tighter into its, into its ugly black hole of sin and perversity and sickness. And one day Jesus the king is going to come. And he's going to say, you, out, out, into outer darkness, out. Oh, dear ones, don't miss the kingdom. Don't miss the kingdom. The king offers salvation today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you are building a kingdom. Thank you that people are coming to you this day. Thank you that tens of thousands of people, as statistics show, will embrace you even today. Thank you that you're building a kingdom and giving hope to people in China, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, in Africa. South America, you are calling a people out. You're transforming them. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. You're changing them. They're falling in love with you. Jesus is the most precious thing to them. The stone the builders rejected to them is precious. Thank you. Thank you that you're building a kingdom and nothing can stop it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. No matter how much unbelief, no matter how much criticism, no matter how much persecution, nothing will stop this kingdom. This kingdom will triumph. And Lord Jesus, you're coming again to make it right. Help us, we pray, not to get caught up in the despair of this world. Help us not to just focus on the kingdom of man that is, that is falling apart. Help us to see the joy and the beauty. Help give us eyes to see to see what you're doing. You're building a kingdom. And it's a delight. Every citizen of this kingdom I ever meet, I just want to embrace and say, brother, sister, I love you. Father, thank you. We praise you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.